Good morning. Good to see you all. Today we are continuing our series called Spending Someone Else's Money. This is Spending Someone Else's Money Part 5. And the big idea for this series, um, and this is something we explained all the way back on week number one, is that God is actually the owner of everything. So that's why we're saying spending someone else's money, because that's what we're all doing every single day. God is the actual owner of everything, and therefore we are to act like stewards rather than owners. Steward is an old word that means someone else's money manager. We are to act like God's money managers and not just use God's money however we would personally like to use it. That's the idea behind the series. So the last couple of weeks, um, we have been talking a lot about giving money away and looking at verses in the Bible that talk about giving generously. And um, so two weeks ago, they we, uh, Doug preached on giving money to the church. And then last week, we talked about giving money to the poor. And today, we are moving in a different direction because there are other things that you can do with money other than give it away. Did you know that? Yes, there are other things that you can do besides give it away. And so we're going to cover some of those things over the next three to four weeks. Today's topic is saving some for later. And I want to tell you a story. And the story that I'm, I want to start off with a story because I think this story illustrates something that if you can understand that something, then you will be able to understand the rest of the sermon much easier. So once upon a time, I was 21 years old and I had two friends right around my same age, my two best college friends. Their names are Paul and Josh. And Paul, Josh and I got together one day and decided we wanted to go on a trip to California. We said, wouldn't it be cool to go on a road trip and just drive from Ocala to California and back? Yeah, let's do it. And so that's what we decided to do. And we did. We drove from Ocala to San Francisco and back and it took us, we did it in 10 days. And, um, and so what we had decided, this is before we left, we decided we wanted to do it, you know, like they do in the movies. Like, you know, it's just going to be us three guys, and it's going to be really cool, and we're not going to plan out anything ahead of time. We're just going to drive west, and we're not going to pick out the roads ahead of time. We're not going to decide where we're going to stay ahead of time. We're not going to pick out which cities we're going to stop in. Like, we're just going to take it one day at a time, just figure it out as we go, okay? And people are laughing, like, it worked. We made it there and back. And so there was a point where we realized before we left, though, that we're going to have to fund this trip somehow. And so we were poor college students, and I think I had $300 that was set aside for this trip. And I think Paul and Josh had a similar amount of money, $300 each. So combine all of our money together, we had $900 for a trip. And we, it was a 10-day trip, but we didn't know how many days it would be. Okay? It was just, we just knew some number of days going all the way to California and back, and we knew we had $900 between the three of us, and we did it. Now, how did we do it? Well, I'll tell you what, this is, I mean, this is $900 for everything. This is gas, lodging, food, everything that we did on the trip. Okay, here's how we did it. First of all, gas was way cheaper back then, okay? <laughs> Secondly, we had very low standards as far as what we were willing to eat and what we were willing to stay at. So we had one time stayed at a local um, motel. And I don't know if, I, maybe I shouldn't say the name of it since I'm going to make it sound like it's bad. Um, we stayed at a motel that will remain unnamed that's in this town. And it's a, it's a motel downtown that was, it, they charged $30 a night for a room. And so at the time we were like, you know, this is perfect. And so there was three of us. And so three of us sharing one room, it was $10 a piece. So we had done that one time. And then as we were planning out this trip to California, we said, hey, let's just go find places like that place. Like as we go along, like as we travel across the country, certainly every single city across America has gross motels and we'll pay $10 each and we'll just figure out a way to get to California. And so that's what we did. Um, and then as we went along, and this is interesting, I, I remember correctly, I think we did find places like that. 
But we were not able to find places like that in every single city. Like there were times where the bottom of the line place, as, as far as we could tell, um, this is before GPS and all that, right? Um, so it's, the bottom of the line place in some of these cities was like something way more luxurious than we were planning on, okay? Like Motel 6, okay? And it was, so the, Motel 6 at the time was charging like 50 or $60 a night. And we were like, $60 a night? That's double what we had planned. And, and we, had, we didn't want to sleep outdoors, and so we went and spent $60 a night. But we realized when we made that decision, we're going to have to cut something else, right? We're not earning any money along this trip. We're gonna have, something else is going to have to change. We're going to have to make a different decision than we had planned. We're going to have to figure this out somehow. And we did. We figured it out. Um, we figured out who, which family members we had in which states, and we made some strategic stops, right? Josh had a grandmother in Colorado, and I have a sister. We stopped at her house and Paul's cousins. And so that was helpful because those family members let us stay there for free. And so that would be $30, $60 that we saved by staying with a family member. Sometimes they would give us free food when we visited them. That was exciting. Um, one time on the trip, we took um, a tour of a college campus for the free cafeteria passes that they will give you. <laughs> Did you know this? Right, if you're, if you're about that age, and you go and you tour a college, you know, because they're trying to recruit you. They'll give you, they'll let you try out the cafeteria. And so you just got to listen to someone talk about something for a while. And then you get some free food. And so that's how we stretched it. That's, we, had to, we had to make decisions like that. I can remember early on in the trip when I realized, well, I'm going to have to be so careful with what I choose to do on this trip regarding money. The very first place we stopped at, um, I think it was a Wendy's. The first place we stopped at, I thought, we, I gotta be you know, careful, I only have so much money. And so I ordered off the 99 cent value menu. Okay? And I ordered three items off the 99 cent value menu, $3 for my meal. And I thought like, this is good, right? And then the next place I did the similar thing. And then at some point after a few of these stops, I realized $3 for a meal times three meals a day is $9 a day times 10 or 14 days, I'm realizing this, that's gonna be more than one third of all the money I have for the whole trip. And so there was a point where I realized, oh, I don't have the luxury to eat off the 99 cent value menu. I can't afford that. And so we went to a grocery store and had to, we got these protein bars that were on sale and this tuna salad kit. Anyway, we were able to figure out, I think it was we were able to figure out how to eat on like $4 a day. I tell you this story for a reason. Because one of the things it shows you, and this is true, and this is true outside of trips to California, you can make your lifestyle fit your money if you have to. Right? Now, we don't think that way in America a lot of times. A lot of times we think, well, I've got to establish my lifestyle first, and then I've got to go find a job that will fund my lifestyle. Right? So I, I've got to have a house because I don't want to live in an apartment, and it's got to have a big backyard because I've got two dogs. And I have three children, and every single one of them needs to have their own bedroom, so I've got to get a four-bedroom, two-bath, and I've got to have internet at home, and I've got to have a computer, and I've got to have Netflix. Life would be so boring if I didn't have that. And so we've decided all of these things we need, and then we add it all up, and we go, okay, now what job do I have to have in order to fund my lifestyle? And we say, I've got to make whatever, $60,000 a year. I'm just letting you know the reverse is possible. It is possible to take your lifestyle and make it fit your money if you have to. And so with all of that in mind, now let's go to the scripture, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. This is going to be the main verse that I want to teach you this morning. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. And this is what it says. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man consumes them. I don't know if, what this verse means, 
is obvious to you on the very first time that you read it, but I love this verse and I love what it means. But in case it's not obvious to you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread this verse four more times and I'm going to read it in four different translations. As you may know, this portion of the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and it has been translated into English multiple times. Okay, so I'm going to read you four different translations of this in addition to the one that I just read. So can we have those up on the screen? So I just read to you, precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man consumes them. That's HCSB, what I normally read. Here's the King James version of that verse. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. The English Standard Version says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The NIV translates it, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. And the New Living Translation says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Do you have an idea of what this verse is saying? When you look at it, you can kind of see here what, it's, it's, a, it's a comparison between the wise person and the foolish person, right? And what does the foolish person do? Well, depending on the translation, that, that final verb is, is translated different ways, right? We've got, he, he consumes, he spendeth, right? He devours, he gulps, and then we have spend again. And so what you can see is that what the foolish person does is when they get their treasure or when they get their oil, they consume it. They, they gulp it down. They, they devour it. It's not there anymore. They spend it all. There's nothing to show for it. Now, what does the wise person do? Well, the verse doesn't actually say what the wise person does. It just says what's in his dwelling, right? Well, what is in his dwelling? Precious treasure and oil. Why is it there? Well, based on the second half of the verse, this is what I think is implied. It's there because he didn't consume it, right? He didn't devour it. He didn't gulp it. He didn't spend it. That's why it's in his dwelling. So I wanted to illustrate this for you. I want you to see it with your eyes and understand, I think, what this verse is teaching. So... I want you to imagine uh, two dwellings. Okay, the verse says that the wise man has a dwelling, and I'm just going to assume that the foolish man has a dwelling also. So these are their houses. I made these myself out of Lincoln Logs. <laughs> this is the wise man's dwelling, and here is the foolish man's dwelling. And these people, I assume, have some sort of job or do something to produce income. Now, what does the foolish man do with his money? So here I have 10 $1 bills. This represents all of the money that the foolish man makes. And it represents all the money that the wise man makes as well. Okay, So this represents 10% of his money. This rep right here represents 20% of his money. This represents 100% of his money. So what does the foolish man, when he gets his paycheck, what does he do, according to the verse? He spends it all. How much of it? Every single bit of it. So that at the end of the week, what does he have in his dwelling? Nothing. And then next week, he gets another paycheck. And what does he do? He devours it. Right? He gulps it down. He goes to Applebee's and buys a bunch of food and drink and it's all there. And he pays his rent and he pays his bills and he pays his whatever and he buys whatever it is. And what happens at the end of the week? He still has nothing to show for it. And next month what happens? Same thing. How much does he spend? 100% of it. What does he have to show for it? Nothing. Now what does the wise man do? Now I think this is important. I don't think that this verse is saying that the wise man doesn't consume anything. Right? I don't think the point of this proverb is to say... Foolish people spend money. Wise people don't. Right? That's not the verse. That's not what it means. That couldn't be what it means. Foolish people eat stuff. Wise people don't eat. No, that's not what it's saying. This person consumes all of it. What does this person do? I'm assuming the wise person, he consumes some of it. Right? He has to in order to live. But not all of it. Why? 
because there's some precious treasure and oil in his dwelling. And the next time he gets a paycheck, what happens? Again, this guy has to survive. Of course he spends money, but not all of it. And where does it go, according to the verse? In his dwelling. And then the next week, what happens? He does the same thing. And month after month and year after year, it goes by and he does not consume all of it. And then when the months add up and the years add up and a decade has gone by, what is now true of these two men? After about 10 years, this guy still has nothing to show for what he has done with his life. And what has happened with this guy after 10 years? What's in his dwelling? Precious treasure and oil. That's what's in his dwelling. So to me, what I'm trying to say here is, I think this is a good definition of the word saving, even though the word save is technically not in the verse. This is the definition I'm going to use for saving this morning. Saving is consuming less than you make. That's what saving is. Saving is consuming less than 100% of what you make. And I think this is a verse that is saying wise people save. Wise people that are following on God's ways are going to consume less than they make. Okay, well, how do you do that? How do you consume less than you make? And I think there are two things that will be very helpful with you on your quest to consume less than you make. One of them is spiritual and one of them is practical. The spiritual one I'm going to go ahead and leave for another week. I'm not going to talk much about that today because I want to do a whole sermon on it later. But the spiritual thing that you need in order to consume less than you make, I think, is contentment. Contentment is a spiritual character quality. I think it's connected to your relationship with God. And it's the idea that I can be satisfied with what I have or even satisfied with consuming less than everything that I have. And so the reason I'm not going to talk about contentment today is because I want to save that for later on in the series and do a whole sermon just on that topic. But for today, I want to talk about the practical thing that I think will help you, okay? How in the world can I consume less than I make? And I think the practical way to do that is to plan it out, to plan it out. And for that, I want to show you Proverbs chapter 27. If, you, if you're already in Proverbs 21, you're just flipping over like three pages. Proverbs chapter 27 I'm going to start reading in verse 23. This is a verse that I've already told you about. Okay? At, the, at the beginning of this series, um, I told you that maybe later on in the series, we might come across a, a verse about goats, and you need to know that that verse is about you. Do you remember that? Okay? We're, we're finally here. We've made it to goat verse. Okay? Proverbs chapter 27, starting in verse 23. Listen to this, the word of God. Know well the condition of your flock, and pay attention to your herds. For wealth is not forever. Not even a crown lasts for all time. When hay is removed and new growth appears and the grain from the hills is gathered in, lambs will provide your clothing and goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, food for your household, and nourishment for your female servants. Now, if you were not here on week number one of this series, you're going to be tempted to think that if there were ever a passage in the Bible that has nothing to do with your life, it's this one, right? Now, if you were here, you know. You could, we, there's a secret that we're all in on. But if you're, if you're just visiting and you weren't here back on week one, I think there's going to be a strong temptation to look at this and go, if there's ever a verse in the Bible that, ha that is irrelevant to me, it's got to be this one. Because I don't have any servant girls, and I don't like goat's milk, and I don't have a herd, and I don't have a flock. This is just part of the Bible that has nothing to do with me. And if you think that, you'd be wrong. I told you back on week one that in ancient cultures livestock and animals were the way that they measured wealth. Do you remember that? 
that when they talked about how Job was a rich man, they didn't say he was a rich, the way they described him as a rich man was not to say he was a millionaire or a billionaire. They said things like, he's got 3,000 camels. And so wealth was measured in animals, and not only was wealth measured in animals, animals were the way that you perpetuated your wealth. Animals were the way that you made money. If you had a flock or a herd and some of your goats or some of your sheep were pregnant, that was fantastic because that meant next year at this time, you're going to have more sheep and more goats than you have now, which is good because you're going to use goats to trade in order to get a field or you're going to use, you know, whatever. You need goat's milk in order to eat and you're going to need the wool from the lambs in order to do clothing. Like this is the way you're going to survive. And so I think what this verse is saying, maybe it's saying a lot of things, but I think part of the thing here is, hey, have a plan for your possessions. Know well the condition of your flock. Pay attention to your herds. Have a plan for your investments. Have thoughts about your work life and plans for your income. What are you going to do with it? Are you keeping track of it? So another word for a money plan would be the word budget. Okay? And I'm assuming there's probably going to be a few people in this room that are like, ugh, budget. Like, I don't want a budget. I just want to live freely, you know, and just take each day at a time. And so I just want to explain to you, a budget is simply another word for a money plan. In fact, this is what someone once taught me. A budget is you deciding where your money goes rather than allowing circumstances to decide where your money goes. Make sense? So a Christian budget is you deciding where God's money goes rather than allowing circumstances to decide where God's money goes. So what I want to do is I want to teach you this morning a very simple budget, okay? And this is something that if you are here this morning and you are 12 years old or 14 years old or 16 years old or one of my children over there, I want you to listen very closely. <laughs> I want you to listen very closely to this part of the sermon because what I'm about to teach you will serve you well for your entire life. When I was 13 years old, I was taught to do a budget this way, okay? This is three envelopes. One says give, one says save, and one says spend. I think I was about 13 years old when I read this idea in a magazine. I was reading a magazine and said, hey, you can, as a child, you can budget your money using envelopes. These are just regular envelopes that you, you know, put a letter in, okay? So and I, you write the word give, and save and spend on the outside of the envelope. And the idea is, when I was 13, I think my allowance at the time was $5 a week. That's what my mom gave me. And so I would take that money and I'd put some in the give envelope and some in the save envelope and some in the spend envelope. The idea was to decide what you're gonna do with these three categories. And then, when I went to church, I would take money out of the give envelope and put it in the offering plate, because we went to a church that had offering plates, all right? And so that's what we did. And when I was, whatever, 16, 17 years old, and I opened my first uh, bank account, I took the money that was in the save envelope and took it out and I deposited it in the bank. And if I wanted to go and buy something or, um, you know, whatever my friends were saying, hey, let's all go to the movies or whatever, I would look in my spend envelope and see, well, can I afford that? Is the money in there? And if it was in there, yes, I can go. And if it's not in there, no, I can't go. And it doesn't matter if it's one of these envelopes because these envelopes have already been decided that they're for something else, right? I have to see if it's in this envelope to decide whether I can go or not. And so that was helpful to me when I was a little kid. And, and I told you this, listen closely if you're 12 or 14 or 16, but I guess I need to say one other thing. If you're here and you're 25 or 45 or 65, and you're not super good with your finances, I hope you will also listen to what I'm about to say. And you might say, yeah, but this is really simplistic and this is not what adult life is like. I can't just be cashing my check and shoving in envelopes. Well, first of all, you can. It's not illegal. Um, but 
what you can do is if you can understand the simple concept, you can then complicate this to make it match your complex life as an adult. Because that's what happened to me over time. One day I turned 17 years old and I got my first job at um, the Publix in Bellevue. And I had a car and I would drive to and from and I was a bag boy there at Publix. And I was still doing the system, but there came a point when I was 17 that I realized this, these three envelopes aren't gonna work anymore. Give still worked, I could still cash my paycheck, put it in this envelope, and then give it to church. And save still worked, I could cash my paycheck, put some of the money in save, and then next time I went to the bank, deposit it. But the problem with just having an envelope that says spend, is that I realized if my friend said, hey, do you wanna to go to the movies? And I went, yeah, there's money in there, and then I did it. The problem is, what happens when I need to put gas in my car, and the envelope's empty? My parents made me pay um, for the insurance that's on the car. So I realized, wow, I've got to pay for my insurance if I'm going to keep having this car that takes me to and from work. I'm going to have to pay money for the gasoline to get the car to go to and from work. And so I realized, oh, I can't have one that says spend. I need to have one that says gas and one that says car insurance and one that says hanging out with my friends. Right? And so then I could put the money in each one to make sure that it was there when I needed it. And so I continued to do that into my adulthood, even after I was married. Heidi and I, when we were like 22 years old, lived in Dallas, Texas and we would cash our paychecks, and we would put it in envelopes, literally in, in our house, in my underwear drawers, where they all lived at the time. <laughs> I mean, we don't do it that way anymore. If you ever come to my house, do not search through my underwear drawer, please. <laughs> but at the time, we would, we would use envelopes, but, but our life was more complex, and so we had a whole bunch of envelopes. I don't remember how many it was, 15, 20 different envelopes. But we had her car and my car and her car insurance and my car insurance and the money we were paying for our apartment and groceries and all that stuff. And so that's what we did. Now, it's been another 20 years since then. So I'm now 42, and we don't use envelopes at all anymore. Okay? Now, um, we, well, she uses an app on her phone called YNAB. It's spelled Y-N-A-B. It stands for You Need a Budget. And that's how, she, that's how she keeps track of the money that comes in and which categories we've set it for and which places we've spent it at. Um, I don't use YNAB because I'm old school, and I don't like apps on phones. And so I just have an Excel spreadsheet on my home computer that's plugged into the wall, okay? Um, and so that's fine. We each do it our own way. And it's, it's not like I have a budget and she has a budget. It's the same budget. We, we are one household. We share all our money. But she keeps track of it on her phone and YNAB. I keep track of it um, on the computer on an Excel spreadsheet. And that's how we decide where God's money goes rather than just allowing circumstances to decide where God's money goes. Now, there may be some of you in a room this size who say, that was very nice, Mario. Thank you so much. I bet you that sermon was very good for somebody. Um, that, was very, that, that was probably very helpful. But, but some of us, Mario, we don't make enough that we could possibly save any of it. Like, that was great for, like, the rich people you have going to your church, you know, because they got stacks of cash sitting around, and it, it's good that you taught them that. But, but some of us, we don't make enough money that we could save anything. And I will tell you what my reaction is to that. Nuh-uh. <laughs> I don't believe that, okay? I just, I don't believe it. Maybe I'm wrong. I will let you know. I was brainwashed when I was a kid, okay? My mom taught me when I was a little kid. She said, if you earn a dime, save a penny. And I'm assuming she said that multiple times because I remember it into my adulthood. If you earn a dime, save a penny. And that communicated to me not only the importance of saving, but I assumed it meant no matter how little you make, you can always save a little bit of it. Even if you only earn a dime, save a penny. And so I guess what I'm saying to you is this. What are the odds that there is someone here in this room right now who is, who is currently surviving on 100% of your income, but if you were to make your lifestyle be 
95% of your income, you'd die. Is there anyone in the room that there would be a fatality in your house? Because here's the thing, I, I do think that's theoretically possible. There are people in the world who are on the brink of starvation, and if they were to make their lifestyle match 95% of their income instead of 100%, somebody in the house might starve to death. I think that's a thing. I'm just saying it's probably not true of anybody in this room. Let me illustrate this another way. I didn't make this illustration up. It goes like this. What if you had a child? And what if that child got some sort of rare disease where they were going to certainly die unless they got a particular medicine? Okay, imagine your child has a disease that if, they, if left untreated, they will die. But if they get um, a certain injection um, every, once a month, they will live. And imagine that injection just happens to be 5% of your income. Would your child die? Would you say, well, we can't afford that. Sorry, Susie. I think every parent I've ever met would say, of course not. Of course I would make my lifestyle match 95% and I'd make sure that we had that money. Of course my kid would go on living. Yeah. And once you realize that, you realize this. The reason that some of us are not saving is not because you can't. It's because you don't want to. You don't want to do it bad enough. I think we should be honest with ourselves and, and just say that. If you're here today and you're a teenager, you might think to yourself, I'm just a teenager, I'll just spend my money on whatever I want, none of this matters, this will all matter one day when I'm a real person, okay? Like one day when I'm like a real adult, then I'll save, okay? And give too, I don't need to, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. But, but I'll, I'll do this stuff one day when I'm a real adult. In a few years, you're gonna be a real adult. You're gonna be 20 years old. And are you going to save then? No, college students don't save, right? College students are notorious for not only not saving, but borrowing a bunch of money they haven't earned yet and spending all of that and then paying all that off later, right? If you don't save as a teenager, what makes you think you're going to be a whole different kind of person when you're 20? Okay, well, yeah, I probably won't. Yeah, you, you won't. And you'll be 20. And when you're 20, you'll say, I will save later, like when I'm out of college and I get a real job. Okay. But when you get out of college and you get a real job, you know what's going to come? Real bills. Okay. Like the, the, the expenses are going to go up and suddenly you're not living dorm life anymore and you've got to pay rent, and you're not on your parents' insurance anymore, and you're not eating just Hot Pockets anymore, right? And so your life, has, the expenses came up, and it's gonna be hard to save then too. And you may say, well, yeah, it will, but then later on, like later on, when I like settle down and get married, then I'll save. <laughs> when you get married, you'll save? Let me tell you, because I got married once. <laughs> Let me tell you what happens, okay? Men. It's men. You will, you will get married and find out that the furniture in your house needs to be replaced. <laughs> I got married, and at the when I was single, I owned a couch that did the job, okay? <laughs> it held me up while I watched TV. And I married a woman, and I think it was within the first month, I, I found out we need to get a different couch, one that's, that's comfortable and not ugly. <laughs> That's what you're going to find out. When you get married, there's going to be a whole other standard that comes up. That drawer in the kitchen, guys, she's going to want all of the forks in there to match. Like all the same little swirly pattern at the bottom of every single fork. This whole, like, I got some forks from Taco Bell and five unmatching things that grandma gave me. Like, that's not going to cut it. Every single time you move on in life, there's other expenses that come along with it. You might go, oh, yeah, you're right. When we first get married, there will be a bunch of expenses. But then after that, later, then I'll save. Like, like, like when I have kids. Ah, when you have kids? When you have kids, you'll save? They will eat you out of house and home. 
They will do things that extract money from you every single day. Well, okay, that's probably true. But then one day when the kids are grown up and out of the house, then I'll save. Oh, when they come to you and say, Dad, will you help me pay for this wedding? When they say, Mom, will you help me pay for college? That's when you're going to start saving? Oh, well, that's a good point. Probably not then. I'll wait till I'm like really old <laughs> and about to die and start saving. So that's when you're going to save for later, when there's very little later left? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Hear me. You will start saving whenever you decide to start saving. You will start saving whenever you decide, get this, to be content with less than you earn. Whenever you decide to not consume all of it. Now, I have way more to say, but there is not time. Originally, at this point in the sermon, I wanted to move on to the topic of debt because I was thinking to myself, if in this sermon we're talking about what happens when you spend 100% of your income, wouldn't it be great to talk about what happens when you spend 110% of your income, right? Doesn't that sound fantastic? Okay, come back next week because I don't have time to fit that into this sermon, so I'm, I'm going to leave that for next week. For what I want to do now with the minutes I have remaining, I want to move toward a conclusion. I want to talk about what we've talked about so far, but I want to connect it to the message of the New Testament and our relationship with God. Because so far we've only read from Proverbs and we really haven't talked about what this has to do with our relationship with God. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn now to Matthew chapter 6. I want to read to you verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. What you do with your money shows who you belong to. What you do with your money shows who you think the owner of your stuff is. What you do with your money shows who your master is. And I believe spending all of your money on yourself is not simply a financial problem. It's a spiritual problem. There's one more passage I want to show you. This is something else that Jesus said. In fact, he said it in the same context. It's five verses earlier. It's very famous. I think I read it like three weeks ago. I think Doug read it last week. And I want to reread it this week especially. Um, because I think this verse could almost seem to contradict what we've said so far. So I want to deal with this. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 said, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, do you see the problem? Do you see how this verse almost seems to go against what we've learned so far? Is it not obvious? <clears throat> if it's not obvious, let's go ahead and put both verses up side by side. Let's just really accentuate this problem. Okay? So we're going to compare Proverbs chapter 21 to Matthew chapter 6. You see the problem now? We got a verse here that says that the wise man, and if you know Proverbs, the wise man is the one you're supposed to be like. The wise man is the one that's walking in God's ways. We've got a wise man who is collecting treasure. And then now we have the wisest man who ever lived who specifically says, don't collect treasure. So which one is it? Are we supposed to be wise and collect treasure? Or are we not supposed to collect treasure? Do these two verses contradict each other? So here's my answer to that. <laughs> yes, if... 
if you believe that what this verse is saying is save everything that you can, live as if this life is the only one that there is, disregard God's will, and just build a kingdom for yourself. If that's what you think Proverbs 21 is saying, then it contradicts Matthew chapter 6. And if you think that what Jesus meant when he said this, don't collect treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, if you thought that he was meaning like literally, you cannot collect anything. You are not permitted to store anything. You may not own or possess anything. You can't have a shed. You can't have a carport. You can't have a refrigerator. You can't have a closet. You can't have a bookcase, right? Because all of those things are used for storage, right? You're not supposed to collect anything. If you believe that Jesus was literally saying no things are allowed to be collected or stored, then yes, that contradicts Proverbs 21 20. But if you think that this verse means live a life of contentment and self-control, not devouring everything that comes your way, then it doesn't contradict what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. And if you believe that what Jesus say, is saying in Matthew chapter 6 is don't live this life as if this life is all there is. Don't live in this world as if this world is all there is. No, think about heaven. Think about what comes next. Live your life in this world according to God's will and according to God's ways because what's coming is more important than what's here now. If you believe that's what Jesus was saying, then yes, these verses are compatible and they even balance each other out. And so I want to exhort you to two different groups of people. I want to talk to non-savers and I want to talk to savers. For those of you who are not savers, based on Proverbs chapter 21, I say this to you. Save some money. Live a life of contentment and self-control and future planning and don't consume everything you get. And to those of you who are savers, I say this. Do not live as if this world is all there is. Do not put your hope in wealth. Do not find your security in your savings account. Be generous with your money and give it away. It is possible to oversave. Like that's called hoarding or stinginess. Like realize you could oversave and not do what God wants you to do with your wealth. And then the last thing I want to say, I want to end with the good news. Jesus Christ died for sins. Jesus Christ died not only for sexual sins, he died not just for relational sins. He died not just for sins that are also crimes. Jesus died even for financial sins. I believe Jesus died for people who go, I'm going to spend all my money on me. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for people who say, I'm going to put my hope in wealth and that's what I'm going to trust in. Jesus Christ died for those of us who are greedy and materialistic. And I think it is good for you to realize that these things that we probably think of as little sins are not. Like, I think a lot of us think these things are little sins because everyone does them. Like spending all my money on myself, is that even like a big deal? Doesn't like everybody do that? Trusting on my, in my savings account as the security of my life, doesn't, isn't that like what everybody's doing? And I think because so many people do it, we think that these are little sins, but they are actually disqualifying behaviors worthy of judgment from a holy God because they have to do with our heart and who we really belong to and worship. And so we should repent 
We should seek his forgiveness for the ways that we have misused his wealth. And I will tell you this, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are not only pardoned of your sins, but he sends the Holy Spirit to us, who then helps us to live the lives that we should live. And that is good news. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help this morning. I wish I had prayed this before the sermon, but I suppose you can answer prayers at any time. I pray that you would use this sermon. I pray that the words would hit us in the right way so that we would trust in you. I pray specifically for people here who need to learn how to be content and satisfied and self-controlled in what they have and that they would become people who save, not so that they have a kingdom that they build on this world, in this world, but so that they are ready to do your will with your money and they have not consumed at all. And I pray for those of us who have stored up a whole bunch of money to the point that we go, ah, I think I'm fine. I think I'm going to be good for years. I pray you'd help us to see that that's literally what the rich fool did. And help us to be people who are generous and who are not thinking more about this world than the next. I pray that you would gently break us and change us into the people you want us to be. And I love you for being a God who, who doesn't stand back and go, I'm not going to change them. They'll have to figure it out on their own. But you also don't come into our lives and, and crush us in order to make us what you want us to be. So we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.